Hey friends, I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Erin Cusio, and this is Room for Lovely. Anytime we face tragedy in our lives, we often hear the wise, well-intentioned advice. Live every day as if it's your last. Don't wait to tell someone what they mean to you. Count your blessings. Don't sweat the small stuff. But when you find yourself face to face with death and you come out on the other side, those words hold a bit more weight. They are no longer cliche, but hard fought for lessons learned. And if you're fortunate enough to live through death, you're pretty likely to live life a bit differently in the new chapter. Three years ago, my cousin Angie was faced with a terrible health scare that left those around her praying fiercely for her recovery. Today, she joins me to tell her story and the lessons she learned in her road to recovery. Well, welcome, Angie. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. I am really excited to get to talk to you today and thrilled that you have given us your time to join us. Um, You are my cousin, so I know you fairly well, but for everyone who may not know you, would you take a second and just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you spend your days. Sure. Uh, My name is Angie Terrio. I'm married to a coach and I am a teacher also. Actually, I say I was a teacher. I was a teacher until last year, and then now I'm a librarian. Dream job come true for sure. Um, I have two kids. Tim is 27 and married, and Celia, my daughter, is 23, and she starts her big girl job teaching art education in the fall. That's so exciting. I know you're so proud of both of them, but I'm sure proud of Celia getting to go on and kind of follow in your footsteps and be a teacher as well. Yes. That's exciting. Well, I want to talk to you and kind of go back significantly in your story because for as long as I've ever known you, um, my kids were asking me just today about genetics and I was kind of explaining to them how that works. And something specific to your story is that you, your father and your brother all were sort of affected by the same or similar heart disease. Is that correct? Yes. It's called cardiomyopathy. And my dad was diagnosed, I guess Tim was about two when my dad was diagnosed. So that would have been around 97. He eventually, um, well, I eventually had what they thought was pneumonia and never fully recovered. So I went to the cardiologist and that was December of 2002. And they realized that I had cardiomyopathy also. And so they, surprisingly, they sent me to the same transplant team that they had my dad seeing in New Orleans at Oshner and um, went through some of the same protocols, got on the same medicine as him. And um, I was actually on the heart transplant list for um, a time, got a couple of calls offering me a heart, did not take them. I was starting to get better. And so it just didn't feel right. It's kind of a lifelong commitment. And then, so I was doing better. The medicine was working. And then my dad passed away in June of 2003. And most cardiomyopathy patients suffer from congestive heart failure and they don't just die. And that's what happened to dad. He went to sleep and he never woke up. That made the doctor start talking and they put in um, a defibrillator. They had to fight the insurance because it wasn't protocol to put the defibrillator in because people didn't just, their heart didn't stop cardiomyopathy patients. And so the idea was that if my heart stopped, it would shock it back into rhythm. But the insurance didn't want to because that wasn't protocol, but they fought it and they did. So I just kept getting better and better in the years past. 
And finally the battery went out and the doctor, the cardiologist at the time was like, we don't need to replace it. That's not what insurance pays for. Your heart's doing so well. We don't need to replace it. They didn't replace it. And so they turned it off. It's still in me, but they, it just didn't need to function. They didn't imagine that my heart would just stop. So going back just a little bit, when you were diagnosed as well, so you guys knew that your dad had this diagnosis and then they came to the conclusion that you also had the diagnosis at that time, were you given any sort of prognosis as to what might happen? I know they put you on the transplant list, but was there any sort of expectation or um, caveats for how you should live or anything like that associated with this diagnosis? They wanted me off of salt. Um, so that the fluid didn't build up around my heart. They never really gave me a lifespan just because they kept saying that heart research was going so fast and that they thought that if it would get bad enough and I needed a heart transplant, that that would be the way to go. And you, I had someone else on the podcast who is still actively on the transplant list. And they also said, I think as someone who's not dealt in that medical realm, we are all sort of under the impression that the transplant is this life-saving thing. And for many people, it does buy more time, but you said something really important. It's kind of a lifelong commitment. Oftentimes I heard her say, it's like trading one set of problems for the next. And so it comes with its own cost. Um, and so you were starting to feel better. You made the decision not to go that route. Correct. Uh, the, the heart transplant really only lasts for about 10 years. And at the time I was in my late thirties. And so that would have meant another, I mean, I would have already have had another one. So it just, and, and the medicine and the cost and the feeling better was more important than getting the heart train, if that makes any sense at all. Right. Yeah. Well, definitely. I think if you see this improvement, then you think what's, what's the point I should just keep living and improving and hopefully all goes well. Correct. Yes. For a really long time, all did go well. Correct. Until it didn't. Until it didn't. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what happened. Okay. So Nolan had, uh, our friends had a Dancing with the Stars kind of fundraiser event. And it was in a little town called Maurice at a, a Women of the World Club or some little club that's out in the middle of nowhere. And my br uh, brother's wife, Elizabeth, and her two kids um, were in town because it was my mom's birthday they wanted me to go out to eat with them, but I was supposed to go with Nolan to the Dancing with the Stars event, but guilt got the best of me and the best kind of guilt, but I went to eat with my mom and my sister-in-law and kids and Tim, my son, and in the middle, well, not in the middle of eating, after we had ordered, my heart stopped. Um, I don't like to call it a heart attack because I don't really have any of the symptoms of heart attack. There's no clogged arteries or anything. My heart arrested. It stopped. And um, they said I fell off onto whoever was sitting next to me shoulders. They got me out of the booth and realized that I was, was not breathing. So my mom ran around looking for a doctor like a mother would do and found two paramedics sitting at two different tables, off-duty paramedics. One of them had an external defibrillator in their car. Uh, God was with me. So while the guy was going to get his defibrillator, the other off-duty paramedics started um, CPR compressions and they came back in, they shocked me back and took me in an ambulance to the hospital. As you're telling that story, what is sort of the last thing that you remember? I remember my 
head not feeling right and putting my head in my hands and just saying, I don't feel right. And that's the last thing I remember. And so obviously then they took you to the hospital to start medical treatment. Where does your memory kind of pick up in that story? My memory doesn't come back until probably a week later. They had to intubate me and they tried several times to extubate me and my lungs just kept filling with CO2. And so at one point I remember waking up and the doctor saying, I think the best route is a trach, a tracheotomy where I will be able to breathe. And I remember giving permission for that. That's the first time I remember really being aware of what was going on. Earlier, when they had extubated me one time, I remember waking up and a couple of my friends came in to see me. I mean, I saw all my family, of course, but then I remember wanting some friends to come in and see me. I briefly remember seeing them and then I don't remember anything again until they talked about the trachs. I can remember getting, because of course your mom and Nolan were sending out updates to us so that we could kind of be aware of what was going on and keep praying for you. What was your family hearing in this week's time? Were they thinking, okay, she's going to come out of this and everything is going to be good? Were they unsure? I think the first eight, eight, 12 hours were critical. Um, My priest came to the hospital and was pretty much demanding to be let back in, in the back. They wouldn't let him. And Nolan actually said that that kind of made him feel good because if it had been really serious, they'd have let him in to give me the last rites. They didn't let him in. So that was kind of a good thing. But I think my blood pressure was really low. And so it took a while to get that blood pressure back up. But then I started doing better. And I think they just kept telling them that I would, you know, wake up eventually. Was the hope or the projection that you were going to fully come out of this and be fully okay? I think so. Also, the next thing that they did after they, before they put in the trach or after, I can't remember, they replaced the battery on my defibrillator. (laughs) And now the doctor says they can never not, the insurance can never deny me of that again. Maybe it was important after all. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. I I think they thought I would recover. Um, My heart had sustained a little bit of damage. What they have what's called an ejection fraction. Most people are between the 50 and 60% of your heart that functions. Mine um, was at a 35. And so it wasn't the worst. When I was first diagnosed, it was 15. But I can live like that, apparently. My body has gotten used to living like that. So I think at some point it turned into me being able to breathe with or without the trach. And so were they hopeful that the trach would then be a temporary solution rather than a permanent solution? Yes. Yeah. So all in all, how long were you in the hospital recovering? I was in the ICU for 21 days and then at the long-term acute care facility for another 21 days. So it was a long recovery. It was. And it took probably 40 days to get off of the trach. Wow. It took me a long time. It was a rough recovery from that. That was the worst part. As your memory started to come back, your awareness of what was going on began to come into fruition and you realized what was going on and what condition you were in. What were those feelings like? I think that there was a peace, honestly. I had survived and I wasn't scared of not being alive. The support that I got in the hospital, the support that my family got, the support that everyone got, it made me feel at peace. Um, Daily visits from my priest, daily visits from people made me know that it was going to be okay. 
And when I tell you the community supported not only me, but my family so much, Nolan's school took care of him. The community took, stepped up and took care of my children. My mom had support and it just, there was a peace in knowing that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the job was taking care of you at that point, which was really important. And so it's really wonderful, though, not surprising that you guys were so well supported and, you know, that you could focus on really getting better and and recovering. Yes. And that's, that's what it was. It was all about me recovering and everybody's pushed together for me to be able to, to recover. I thank God for that, for sure. Once you were able to finally come home after those days in the hospital and after those days in the acute care, how was, how was life different at home for you? Well, I slept at home. We slept on the couch for a long time. Nolan slept with me. We have a sectional and he slept on one section. I slept on the other because laying flat wasn't comfortable for me. It's kind of hard to breathe for some reason. And then I spent the days with my mama. Um, Nobody wanted me to be left alone. Um, They hovered quite a bit, but it was good. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, I was able to convince them that I could spend longer and longer times away from anybody. But I was still so weak. My body was so weak. And I had to do physical therapy, you know, every day, almost every day of the week, just to kind of get strength back because my body hadn't moved for 42 days. So it was a long recovery physically. I can remember the physical therapist asking me one of the exercises was I had to crawl. And so you're like, sure, I can do that. Well, let me tell you, I now know how baby feels, babies feel because it's not that easy. It takes a lot of strength to be able to crawl. And so when I could finally crawl on my own, I had graduated a little bit. Wow. That's crazy. Now, all this time later, you obviously don't have a trach anymore. You're, you're able to breathe on your own. Has everything returned back to normal essentially? Yes. My stamina is still not where I would like it to be. Um, I need to exercise more, but exercising has its risks too. Cause I don't want my heart rate to go too high. So I think I'm stuck between I need to exercise and I need to get my body healthy. But if I work too hard, then my defibrillator is going to go off because my heart rate is going too fast. It's this balance. But yeah, I go back, I've gone back to work and things are pretty, pretty well physically back to normal. Sure. We all need to make room in our lives for lovely, but I bet we'd like to look lovely too. The Redeem Boutique offers casual women's clothing for women of all ages while also providing impeccable customer service and giving back. 10% of every sale goes to aid nonprofit organizations that serve at-risk youth. I am thrilled to tell you that the Redeem Boutique is offering our listeners 15% off purchases with the code LOVELY15. Click the link in show notes and enter the code LOVELY15 at checkout cute clothes and a good cause, nothing is lovelier than that. Essentially, you were given a second chance at life. I mean, there were all the right people in all the right places for you. You were in a very crowded restaurant instead of out in some small town. I mean, so many things kind of worked together in your favor in that moment. What what magnitude did that realization have in your life? It's made a big difference. I feel like it's so cliche to say, don't sweat the small stuff, but I really, I try not to, uh, it really doesn't matter. Life means more than getting an argument about who put away the clothes or who didn't put away the clothes. Um, Nolan and I's relationship is probably the strongest it's been 
it'll be 29 years in December that we've been married. He and I just spend a lot of time together and we never fail to say I love you when we're leaving. And all the things that we took for granted, we're trying very hard not to. Time with my kids, time with my mom, time with my cousins, traveling. We're trying to do as much of that as possible because none of it's guaranteed. You know, dad died June of 2003. He was going to retire the following April. And he didn't get to do the things that he wanted to do. I'm trying very hard just to to live happily, if that makes any sense, and not to let small things bother me. I think that's an excellent perspective to have. It's so easy to kind of let that small stuff get in the way a lot of times. It's certainly a perspective that I think all of us need to have. And the fact that you were just kind of pushed into that a little bit harder is almost an important gift that you were given. Yes, it's an important gift to realize that. And then also going back to the support that I had, you know, all these people that are praying for me and sending me messages and telling me things about myself that I didn't realize, like people at school were like, we miss your smile in the hallways. I want to tell people, tell somebody that while they're alive, because like, I didn't realize that I smiled all the time in the halls. You know, I try to be positive, but sometimes I cannot be, you know, but it was so nice to hear these things that people don't always tell each other. And so I want to say, tell each other, tell each other what you like about somebody and what your what good that they do in your life or how they make you smile or just little things like that. Don't save it and tell them that, say it at their funeral. Right. That's so important because I think so many times people do say that, oh, I wish I'd gotten the chance to say there are so many things that, you know, like you said, I didn't even realize that I was doing that or that it mattered to people. And they had the opportunity to tell you that so many times we don't get that opportunity. And I think we all could speak up a little bit more and say those things to the people in our lives or even strangers. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad that we're kind of doing this. I was super nervous, but now it's going to remind me to go back because you get complacent, you know, even it'll be what, three years. I need to remember to do that more often. Well, you were teaching up until that point, And even after that point, how long did it take you to be able to get back to work? Um, it happened in August. So I missed the first part of school and I was bound and determined to um, go back to work in January should not have gone back to work in January. I was a little hard-headed. I think I just wanted to prove to people that I could do it and that went back to work and got pneumonia in February of 2020 and had just gotten back to work and COVID happened. So as much of a curse as COVID was, it was actually a blessing to me because I was able to fully finally heal. Um, I don't think I would have made it the rest of the school year, but it was important to me. I felt like I was letting everybody down. It's also important to note that you were teaching what grade at that time? Third grade. So when we talk about stamina, you need a tremendous amount of stamina (laughs) to endure third graders all day long. Yes. I I love them, but yes, it was a busy day. After that, you kind of began to transition into, not necessarily because of this, it had been a lifelong dream, but you began to transition into a different sort of role at the school. And now you are a librarian. Yes, I'm a librarian. It's great. I moved schools. I moved to a little school in Maurice, surprisingly enough, back to that town. It's the best. It's a small little country school. Um, There's 825 kids. So I say it's small. I guess it's really not. But And I get to teach them and and have joy in their reading, good conversations about stories that they want to read and try to find the best book for them. Through all of this, what have you learned about yourself? 
that it's okay to need people and that I don't have to do it all by myself. Can I back up just a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. 2020 COVID happened. That July, we went with some friends to t- their camp in Toledo Bend. Well, we were in Toledo Bend and we were in the water um, trying to get on tubes and just exerting a lot of effort. It was hot. Crawled out of the water onto the deck and realized I didn't feel very good. And my defibrillator went off. My heart rate was so high that it not only went off once, it shocked me 19 times. And the ambulance came and had to get their gurney down to the dock. And anyway, I ended up in the uh, medical center in Rapids Parish and then in the hospital in Shreveport, got on some medicine to keep my heart rate from going too high. They think it was just a freak thing of the exertion and the dehydration. That was just another, yet another thing in allowing people to help me. It's humbling to know that you have so many people that can take care of you and that you need it and that it's okay to let people take care of you. I'm pretty independent. I don't like people having to take care of me, but I'm, I'm getting better at it. I think that's a really difficult thing for so many people. We like to pretend that we've got it all together or that we can do it all on our own. But for you to be put in that position where not only did you need it, but I think the really reassuring thing is you saw how many people were so willing to reach out and to care and to do whatever they could, that had to be a really encouraging place to be as well. For sure. It still makes my heart full to know how many people cared about me, were praying for me. My priest came see me every day in the hospital and gave me an anointing and blessed me. And I swear I could, I felt better after he left. The, just that feeling of peace. And I don't think if I hadn't had that many people praying for me and on my side that I'd have felt like that. What do you hope for in this second half of life? I hope to travel as much as possible with Nolan. I really want to go on a Mediterranean cruise with my mom. Um, That's a bucket list thing. I want to have grandbabies and I want to see Celia get married. And I'm not saying soon, but those are things that, I mean, she is 23, but her dad is busting at me back there. I'm not, nobody's guaranteed time. And so I want to experience as much as possible. And that means weddings and babies and travel and friends and just everything I can gather from life. Listen, I love a good online boutique. Finding one that has great affordable styles, impeccable customer service, and gives back the best. The Redeem Boutique offers casual women's clothing to keep women of all ages on trend. Plus, they give back 10% of every sale to aid nonprofit organizations serving at-risk youth. Nothing is lovelier than that. And guys, I am so excited to tell you that the Redeem Boutique is offering our listeners 15% off purchases with the code LOVELY15. Click the link in show notes and enter the code LOVELY15 at checkout. Then go make some room in your closet for lovely. Well, I appreciate you so much having the courage to be here and tell your story and give us your wisdom. I always end by asking one simple question, and that is just tell me something good. It can be something really small or something really big, but in your life right now, what's good? I just spent uh, four or five days in hot springs with some of my cousins that I hadn't seen in three years since before the episode happened. So spending time with family is always good. Thanks for joining me for another week. I would love it if you would take just a second to share this episode, leave a rating, a review, or subscribe so you don't miss a thing. We are closing out the last few months of 2022 with some really fantastic episodes, and I would love it if you were here for each and every one. 
This week, I want to challenge you with something that really resonated for me during my conversation with Angie. This week, take time to tell people why they matter. Whether it's a friend, a loved one, a stranger at the grocery store, take a few extra seconds to speak life into their world. Does their humor make you smile? Tell them. Does their tenacity push you on in your own struggles? Let them know. Did you just appreciate the joy in their eyes? Say it. Say all of the kind things that matter because I can promise you it matters. They may never know the difference they are making in your life and you shouldn't wait until it's too late to simply say it out loud. Doing this, making this small extra effort to go out of our way to communicate kindness to those around us can bring unexpected sunshine to so many that we interact with each and every day. In fact, I bet that this simple thing can open our world to so much more room for lovely.